Hi, this is Spencer. You know, we remind ourselves at the beginning of each show that it doesn't have to be perfect, and today's show is not perfect. We accidentally recorded most of the show through the internal computer microphone, so you'll find that the audio sounds a little different than what you're used to. Welcome to The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today we're going to talk about step four, which is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences and understanding of step four. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Kelly, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Spencer. How are you doing this morning, Spencer? Well, I'm doing pretty well. I think I'm ready to talk about step four. Good. I hope so, because we're doing it anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Next is Spencer's special guest host, Erica. How you doing, Erica? I'm great. Thank Good. you for having me again. Thanks for joining us. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic step four. Following a musical break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives, and then we'll follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. And this morning, Erica is going to start us off with a reading about step four. All right. Uh, this reading is from Blueprint for Progress, page nine, and it's a couple paragraphs from the introduction, which is titled The Purpose of Step Four. Step four is an exercise in perception, a way to distinguish between what works in our lives and what is no longer useful or necessary. Being aware of what we did yesterday can help us understand and accept who we are today, so tomorrow we can become the people we want to be. It is not the purpose of the fourth step to degrade ourselves, but to find out the types of mistakes that we tend to make. Initially, our only task is to be as honest as we can. The experience of countless Al-Anon members who have already worked this step assures us that the process uncovered their good qualities too. We may find that some of the defects of character are actually assets gone astray. It might turn out that some of our faults are only shortcomings, areas where we have fallen short of our intentions rather than personal failures or things that we decided to do wrong. If we are truly honest, we will find out certain things that we did wrong and identify some of the people to whom we owe amends. An inventory is a practical thing, a list of stock on hand. It requires seriousness, time, and effort. To get a total and accurate picture, we take a written inventory to see where the business is living, is going well, and where it is not. So there was a lot of great stuff in that reading, and I think that all of us have done a fourth step, if I'm thinking correctly, but... Yes. Before we jump into the reading, I kind of want to go back to the beginning and get your thoughts on the first time you saw or heard about step four, because I know that the first time I, the first time I recall seeing it, I was at a meeting where they had a really large poster of the steps, like taped to the wall in the meeting room. And it was one of those meetings where you kind of went around the circle and each person read a step. And when I, when I heard it, I kind of did like a double take 
And then I looked at the list and I remember feeling terrified. I don't, I was not excited about the prospect of making a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself at all. So I'm wondering if you guys had a similar experience. Well, um, you know, I, I, last week we were talking about trusting the process. And I remember that when I first saw those 12 steps and, and I first saw them uh, in a treatment center, in a, in a meeting room in a treatment center where um, my loved one was um, in, a, in an outpatient program. And I think, I don't know what I really thought. I just thought that was, they were pretty weird. And, and they certainly weren't going to apply to me. Um, I really didn't see how how those steps would would help with the problems in my life, and the fourth step in particular, uh, I think terrified is probably a good word there. Um, I don't think I was necessarily aware enough of my feelings at that point to actually have, you know, used that word then. But it was definitely something I did not want to do. It was something I had no intention of ever doing. Um, as I've, I, I think I've said this when I've shared about uh, step four in meetings that sort of the worst, my worst favorite time of the year at work is when we have to do our annual self-assessment. Mm. Uh, you know, what did you do this year? How did you do it? What, what do you want to improve? What are you, what are you good at? And, and I just hate doing that. I hate doing it. And so the thought of doing that searchingly and fearlessly just was not not in my concept at all. About your whole entire life instead about of just one year. About my whole entire <laughs> life. Instead of just like what happened at work. Okay. Right. You know. So, uh, no, I, I was not looking forward to it. I didn't think I needed it. I didn't think I was going to do it. Uh, I didn't think it would do me any good. How about you, Erica? Well, I had first heard about the fourth step in the context of Alcoholics Anonymous um, and how it... What I'd heard about it um, was that it was really important to do, um, to not put it off, to um, get it get it over with, essentially, and move forward with the rest of the steps. Um, I'd heard things like he he really needs to do a fourth step so that he can you know keep keep going through the steps and get some sponsees, or this person is working on their fourth step and we you know, we have to meet about it and things like that. And so I heard it in the context of AA and I, it sounded like it was a positive thing. Um, but it was a big deal and it was necessary and it had to be done, um, to sort of move somebody into a better place of recovery. So in that regard, it was kind of positive for me. Um, when I saw the, the book that I was planning on using to do my fourth step, I, it's a it's a pretty big book, and so it got a little different when I <laughs> looked at the kind of questions that I was going to be um, prompted to do that moral searching with. Um, so I had mixed emotions. I heard good things about it in AA, but in Al-Anon it was a little different. I knew it was a little. Um, it worked a different way. It was it wasn't something you had to rush to get through necessarily. You know, that's a good, uh, a good point you bring up, Erica, because certainly my first exposure to the steps did not include anything about why, why people did them, what benefits they got from them. Because like you say, Kelly, it was a poster on the wall. Yeah. Uh, it, was not, it was not something that, uh, you know, I was there for Friends and Family Day and they were telling us about codependence and about relapse and about the effect on the family and, and all that stuff they thought we needed to know. And 
there was no discussion at all of the recovery program itself. Uh, I assume that that probably happened with the, you know, the people who were there for treatment, but it didn't happen, um, at least at, at that place. It did not happen with the families. And so um, maybe if I had heard the sort of things that you heard about step four, maybe I would have started to have a different feeling about it at the beginning. Um, and, and what you were saying also reminds me of, I was reading um, in the AA literature and the, the emphasis in there on the necessity of, of an alcoholic doing uh, steps four and, and then five to, to share it with another person to prevent um, drinking again. That, you know, the, the, the sort of, if you don't fix these things, you're going to go back out. Um, and I think that applies to us. In a different way, you know, if we don't, if we don't start to see our part in things, if we don't start to see our part in the disagreements, in the fights, in the whatever's happening in our lives, the chaos that was happening in my life, certainly uh, when I was living with active drinking, if, if I ignore my part, if I say, no, it's all the other person's fault, uh, my life's not going to get better either. I mean, uh, and, and uh, I think particularly, and I know a, a friend of ours has shared this, that uh, when her loved one came into recovery and she was not uh, in recovery, um, I think the, uh, the the term she used was something like screaming bitch from hell, um, <laughs> was how she was acting while he was getting better, while he was not drinking and he was he was improving himself. She was going downhill because she was not looking at her part. She was not looking at herself. Uh, and And so... Uh, when I when I hear about those kinds of experiences, when I look at those sorts of things, you know, it really makes it clear to me why why I need to look at myself, why I need to um, you know find out my part in things, and then uh, I can move on to the the, the later steps of improving. Um, Kelly, I distinctly remember hearing on and off in meetings too that people would share something to the effect of. Doing my fourth step was the point at which my recovery really took off. Or, you know, that was that was what I did that allowed me to make the most change. And I remember, like, sort of vaguely paying attention to those comments. But I'm not sure that I really believed it initially. Of course and not. I, I, someone mentioned something in a meeting last night about how... You know, growing up in a, in a household affected by alcoholism or alcoholic behaviors really lends itself to people who tend to sort of stuff their feelings. You know, you, if, if the moment isn't right, you can't express what you're feeling if the people around you are not accepting of you being angry or you being sad. If it's not okay to feel those feelings, you start to kind of stuff everything. So I, I think I eventually came to the realization that doing a fourth step meant that I was going to have to dredge up all of that stuff that had been sort of stuffed down and compacted and was really hiding deep inside there. And I think it, for me, it caused a lot of reluctance about starting my fourth step. You know, I didn't really want to delve into it because it didn't seem like there was an easier, softer way, so to speak. There wasn't a way to get around it or to, to kind of, half-assed my fourth step you know I mean like yeah. Erica kind of touched on the idea that um we use a book called the blueprint of 
for progress, which is a giant spiral bound book full of questions that you have to answer. 90 pages. Okay, exactly. 90 pages. So it's not this, you know, menial task that you can do in five minutes and be like, okay, I completed my fourth step. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I feel like it was that fear, that fear of addressing things that I didn't want to look at. So I want to share something that, that a friend of ours wrote. Um, we asked a friend of ours, uh, Diana Kay, to recommend some music for this, sh- for this show, and um, she gave us a big long list, not all of which we're going to be able to play, but they will be on the website. And uh, one of the songs that, that she recommended is called The Crow by Dessa, and she writes about this. There's a line in it that says, Nobody fears the height, you all just fear the fall. Go to the edge sometimes and prove your body wrong. And she says, this is one of the most powerful lines for me. Working through my fourth step had a lot of fear involved. I was fearful of admitting my wrongs, sharing them in a lot of ways, fearful of the promise of moving beyond these faults at some point, since I had gotten along this far with them, albeit amidst a notable amount of chaos and pain. (laughs) The message I hear in this song is that great things can come when we work past our fears. The program softens the blow, reminding me, that I can take my time with the steps and that change does not have to be this huge impending force or surmounting hurdle or big scary fall. It can happen through my higher powers loving plan, a plan better than what I had planned for myself and a plan that will not place more on my shoulders than I'm able to carry. And, you know, for me, that's, that's a really nice summation of the, the, some of the fears that I had going into step four, um, the fears of what I was going to uncover. And, and I love that thing about it's not the height that we fear, it's the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was kind of okay with where I was. I mean, you know, yeah, life was hard and things were chaotic, but at least it was, it was comfortable. You know, maybe I was standing there at the edge looking down, but it was a comfortable edge. I was familiar with it and, and I didn't know what would happen when I stepped off that edge. Right. I think that, um, I didn't fear so much the looking at taking the moral inventory. I think I feared the honesty (laughs) Um, I thought I had a really good idea about what my strengths and weaknesses were, and and it was really interesting to um, the first section of the the blueprint for progress is about honesty, and (laughs) they just jump you right in there. Yeah, they jump, they (laughs) push you right into probably the most important aspect I think of the whole fourth step is the honesty, and I always thought of myself as a very honest person, but it wasn't honesty. Um, towards myself it was sort of that ridiculous being ridiculously honest to people about things that maybe didn't need to be even be said or it's easy to be honest about little stuff it's hard to be honest about the stuff that's really important right yeah yeah and I remember that would you know put me in a vulnerable position rather than pointing out somebody else what I honestly thought about somebody else that was really easy yeah yeah taking somebody else's inventory here's what you need to do <laughs> yes yeah uh, that was that was a, that was a hard lesson uh, that you know I kept hearing in the program that, that I was only supposed to take my own inventory and and not my my loved one's inventory mm-hmm. uh, and it's so much easier it's so much easier to take her inventory than to take mine or to take my kids inventories or whatever um, but I remember that first question, and I think the first question there is something like, how was I dishonest as a child? <laughs> like, oh, man. Um, you know, because I was, I was dishonest as a child. I mean, I think all children are because you have that sort of um, 
that view that you're the center of the world as a child. It's something you grow out of as you as you mature. And uh, I didn't really want to go there. But also, it was it was far enough away from where I am today that it was also was fairly easy for me to say, yeah, you know, I stole money from my parents when I was a kid. Well, you know, probably who hasn't? I don't know. Um, you know, I lied about things. I shoplifted. Um, and, uh, you know, and it, it's still not easy for me to say that. But at the same time, it was, you know, 40 years ago. And so... 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's a long ways away and it, and it's easier to share than about maybe something that I did um, yesterday or last week. Uh, but I also realized as I was, as, as that was the introductory section that it was really setting me up. Um, it was, it was saying to me, honesty is important here and I need to continue to be honest throughout the rest of this process. Um, and uh, and I think I think that really is as you said I think it really is why it's first. I think you're right. I mean, it, I also think honesty is a huge part of steps one through three. So to me, that the fact that this section is first in the blueprint for progress means it's kind of placed there as a reminder that this is the foundation of all the other sections that are going to come after that. All other ninety pages that are going to come after that are really based on. Honesty, And I was also thinking as you guys were talking that maybe the reason the Blueprint for Progress is so large is because we spent so much time taking other people's inventory prior to the program <laughs> that this is the payback we get for having to take our own inventory. Um, something that you touched on earlier, Spencer, and also was mentioned in what you read from Diana kind of reminded me that I think it's really easy for people to to mentally group step four and step five together and create sort of this overwhelming feeling of I have to take the inventory and then I have to be honest and then I have to tell somebody else about it and then I have to tell God about it. And, it, you know, it sort of starts this snowball effect. So um, in terms of looking at it as just step four and just the inventory, Was it easy for you guys to separate those two steps? Well, um, no. (laughs) No, it's not. Uh, And and I'm really lucky. uh, When I was doing the steps again recently, um, I had a good sponsor who, when, and in fact, when I was talking about this dishonesty as a child thing, I was writing this down, and I said to him, you know, I feel like I'm going to have to make an amend to my parents for taking money from their sock drawer when I was... 10 years old. And I don't think I can do that, which is an interesting observation in itself. Uh, And he said, you don't have to worry about that right now. You don't have to decide if you need to make an amend. You don't have to decide if you need to make an amend, what kind of amend you need to make. All you need to do right now is to write it down. It's, it's just an inventory. It's not, you're not trying to fix it. And, and I guess, so I think about, if I have a, it, it, the, both the book, the book talks about taking an inventory in a store, right? So you get a toy store and you need to know what's on the shelf. You need to know what you need to order more of. You need to know what's not selling. You need to know what's broken or just too old or whatever. And, you know, when I watch people doing an inventory in a store, sometimes you go in there in the evening and they're going around with their little computer things and they're like counting. They're not taking stuff off the shelf. They're not immediately going and getting something from the back room and putting it on the shelf. They're just counting what's there. And, you know, that was a really good reminder that he gave me. And it's one that I had to 
you know, replay to myself uh, over and over as I went through the process because I would think of something that I didn't like about myself, something that I did that I didn't like or, or that I might have to make an amend for. And I would, you know, this is just the way my brain works and probably true for most of us. I would immediately try to go to the solution. How am I going to fix this? What am I going to do about this? And then I would remember him saying, it's just an inventory. Okay, relax, just write it down and move on to the next question. And it, it really made it easier. I think it's good that you brought up the sponsorship aspect to doing the fourth step. I think for me, um, I both heard from experience of other people in Al-Anon and knew, you know, just kind of from my gut that I didn't want to do the fourth step without a sponsor. Um, and it was important for me to talk to my sponsor about, you know, pre- like preparing to do it and kind of touch base during the process and, and, my sponsor gave me guidance on how to do the steps where I wouldn't get confused between step four and step five. And um, I really like what you talked about with the inventory and how you so, you have a tendency, Spencer, to jump from uh, finding out, like being aware of something and then taking action right away. Um and one of the daily readers I read the other day was about the person talked about the three A's, awareness, acceptance, action, and how he or she always skipped from right from awareness to action or to action yeah. without stopping for the acceptance part. And I think that the steps following the fourth step are definitely um, steps that have helped me with the acceptance of myself and the acceptance of my character defects and my strengths. So Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. recognizing that the fourth step is the first part of those three A's, the awareness, and that I only had to do the awareness part at that time was really helpful for me too. It's so funny that you bring that up because I just wrote down awareness, acceptance, action <laughs> on the notes here. I remembered um, as I was going through my fourth step, I came upon an, a circumstance where um, I had a friendship that that sort of just... Well, in my mind, the way that I remembered it is that it just dissolved. You know, it just kind of went away. But then the more digging I did, I realized it didn't just go away. It fell apart because of some actions that we both took. But I definitely had a part in it. And I remember as soon as I had that realization, I went immediately to figuring out how I was going to contact her. And then I contacted her. And then I made an amends and it really, it didn't, it went horribly, actually. (laughs) It went very bad. I had a lot of expectations about what I thought the results were going to be. Were were you in the program at this point? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was working on my blueprint. Yeah. So, okay. So you were, you were working on step four. You had not gone through the the later steps yet. Correct. And you jumped straight to step nine. Yes. And it was, it was not a good situation. So it, that's immediately what I thought of when you, when, you know, I thought of awareness, acceptance action, because I didn't, I didn't take those middle steps to, to sit with it and to talk to my sponsor and maybe review with her. Like, am I ready to do this? Is it time? So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I want to skip back a little bit cause it took me a moment to find this, but, um, you're talking about honesty and, uh, you know, I've been to a bunch of open AA meetings and, and often they read how it works from the AA big book. 
And it starts out talking about honesty, really. Uh, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And uh, it goes on to say, uh, there are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. And, and you know, I certainly have found that the Al-Anon program demands rigorous honesty of me if I'm really to get all the benefits of the program. And, um, you know, you were asking about, uh, or you were, you were t- saying about people sharing in meetings about how their recovery really didn't start until um, they, they went into step four. And, and I know I'm, I, I said that last night, so... Um, I guess I should explain that for, for our listeners. (laughs) Since I really, I say that, I say that a lot, um, because it, it, it's true. And uh, the other thing that I say is, is I don't necessarily have an explanation for how it worked. I just have the fact that it did that. Um, but I, if I dig into it a little bit, um, definitely part of it, um, is it becoming self-aware and becoming honest with myself? Because when I'm really rigorously honest with myself, which, you know, I achieve occasionally, um, progress, not perfection. And uh, uh, then when I'm in a disagreement with uh, someone in my life, a loved one or a coworker or whatever, if I can be honest about my part in it, and I always have a part in it, Mm-hmm. Um, I often have a part in escalating it. <laughs> uh, and one of the things that working step four did for me was to make me aware of the ways in which I will escalate a disagreement where I will, um, as one of our readings says, pick up the rope and pull on it and engage in the tug of war, which only tends to uh, make things worse, not better. Uh, and by seeing how I do that, by seeing when I do that, by seeing that my, quote, need to be right um, can poison a conversation, um, I'm then able to apply some of the other tools of the program. Uh, and in that case, the, the, the tool that helped me a whole lot was the, the, the slogan, how important is it? Is is being right about some trivial detail important enough to um, derail a conversation to to uh, enrage um, my loved one uh, into um, the uh, you always have to be right. And I always have to be wrong position that um, tends to happen. Uh, whether, you know, whether that's true or not, that's how she sees the situation. And that's, you know, it's, it's all about perceptions. And this is one of the things that's really hard for me as a sort of a very mathematically minded person that um, interpersonal relationships are not about facts. They're not about what's right and what's wrong. They're about perceptions, and they're about feelings. And, and you know, I wish Swayth was here because then she could say, oh, feelings. But, 
Um, you know, and, and uh, I think the other reason that I don't do that is because I've got, you know, what, 20 or so years on her at this point, maybe 30. <laughs> I think 30. And, uh, you know, so I've got a lot more experiences. As I was saying to you last night, Kelly, you know, all of my understanding of how to relate to people has come from painful personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being able to, and this is what it feels like sometimes, being able to bite my tongue and not correct some trivial error of fact because that's much less important than being in relationship. Um, that was a hard one lesson for me. Uh, and it's one that I really did not get until I was in my 50s. Uh, and you know, it's that sort of thing. I wish I had come to Al-Anon a lot sooner in my life because maybe maybe my life would have been you know, easier. Who knows? Hey, what it what it could have should have never mind done. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you brought up, um, you know that sometimes um, I like what you said about your experience, all your painful experiences being things that have changed your perception and have gotten to you to where you are today. And I think that um, something I was thinking about this morning about the fourth step in actually doing the moral inventory is that. It wasn't all hunky-dory, happy land, like exploring, you know, an uncharted forest and seeing all these beautiful new things. It was actually sometimes pretty dark, and it was sometimes pretty painful to dig up some things about myself that I really am not proud of, and I don't, I really don't like about myself. Um, but I think that it's pain that definitely has a. a better outcome in the end if I mean the pain that I felt doing uncovering some things about myself was worth the new perception that I got in the end being able to know about these things and know the nature of them um and that's getting into a little bit of step five but really kind of having a better better picture of who I was um and what got me engaging in situations and what what some of my patterns of mistakes that I was making over and over and um I never had you know that percept that viewpoint before and it was it was wonderful coming out on the other side but it was definitely a journey and some some was good and some was bad and some of it hurt some of it was eye-opening and um I think that it's important to remember that um Painful experiences are an opportunity to grow. Even if it is something that we're choosing to do that might be painful, it's an opportunity to grow. Yeah, another effing growth opportunity. (laughs) I like that. Spencer, when you were talking about when people share that the fourth step is what catapulted them into their recovery and not being sure how it works, it reminded me that there's um, an analogy that someone in meetings shares about, um, you know, driving a car with a muddy windshield. You can't really, you can kind of see where you're going, but not really. And then if you turn the windshield wipers on and, you know, use a little bit of that fluid, just kind of clears everything off. And I, for some reason, I thought of that while you were talking that, you know, to me, that's kind of relative to the fourth step is that you're, you're using those tools that you have at your disposal to really clear away the wreckage of the stuff that you don't need and the stuff that isn't serving you any longer and relative to that I think it's important 
to point out to our listeners, especially the ones that haven't done a four-step yet, is that I feel like we're talking a lot about <laughs> how, how tough it is and looking at these defects that we have, but a big portion of the fourth step is also about examining our assets. And I know for me in codependency, um, and especially in my family of origin, there really was no discussion of assets. Nothing was ever good enough. So there really was no opportunity to talk about something that you were successful at or something that you did really well at or hey, this was bad, but you're good because of this. You know, it was never that kind of discussion. And so for me, the assets portion of the fourth step was a really crucial part because I was so used to picking everything apart and, you know, penalizing myself for everything that I did wrong and then just brushing past anything that maybe was a a good part. So were the assets important for you guys as well or... Was it a different situation De- for you? Definitely for me. I Part of me going into the fourth step without being super scared was I was like, I know what's wrong with me. I have a really good idea of what's wrong with me. <laughs> um, and so I was like, this is going to be a piece of cake. I've got this covered and I know all of you know. And, I, and it was almost surprising to, to me that um, there's an opportunity to look at um, maybe some of my assets, that the things that I've have that, um, you know, that maybe aren't so bad and that haven't been these, you know, things over and over that have not been working for me. There's things that have been working for me. One of them being my willingness to do a fourth step. Will That willingness um, has been a great asset. You know, it doesn't always work the way I want it to, and it doesn't always come as fast as I want it to, my, my willingness, but I had it at the time. And that's an asset, you know, a willingness to change and wanting, you know, to change and become a better person. That Those were a couple of my assets that kind of came out through doing my fourth step. And, you know, that was, that was really important for me to, to discover. Um, I have issues with self-esteem. I have some pretty low self-esteem, um, and especially before the program. And it's really, the fourth step is actually sort of where my self-love started finally happening. I was able to really figure out how to do that, how to, how to um, care for myself and how to um, look at myself in an honest and loving way, like my higher power looks at me. Yeah, for me, you know, it's, it's I think I, you know, I grew up with loving parents, and I'm sure they told me I could do things but it was always a lot easier for me to admit to my faults than than to my assets. Um, I I must have gotten a sort of uh, twisted message about boasting and pride or something like that, and and that those were really really bad things. Um. So, I remember uh, when the first time that I did my fourth step, I did it with an AWOL group, a small group that we met uh, weekly. And we used a, an l book called Paths to Recovery, which for each step has a set of questions. And, and we would meet once a week and we would talk about our answers to those questions. Most of us wrote the answers down uh, before we got there and then we could, we could talk about what we had found. And 
And we might have gotten through, you know, two, three or four questions in an hour. Uh, it took us quite a while to get through step four. We spent, I think, about six months on it. Um, yeah, well, there were eight of us. Okay, so if you had one of those questions that you really got into, you might have only get through that one question in an hour. Um, and we were, we were pretty searching and fearless. But, um, you know, that book... The fourth step section has a, has a set of questions. It has a few questions just sort of about the fourth step in general, about getting started, about what might be blocking us, about what we've heard about working the fourth step. And then it has a set of questions about things that are mostly character assets, although they can illuminate some character defects too, because if it says, you know, how are you tolerant? You say, well, I'm totally not tolerant. I'm intolerant of everything. Then, you know, well, that kind of comes aside as a defect. But, but the question is phrased in terms of the asset, right? Um, and then it has a set of questions about, um, you know, character defects or whatever you want to call them. And, uh, you know, it was hard for me sometimes on some of those asset questions to really say, well, I think I'm good at this because, you know, there was something keeping me back. And so, um, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that you talked about wanting to discover your assets. I mean, I felt like I knew some of my assets, but, but that actually sharing them with somebody else was, was hard for me. Um, as opposed to um, saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, I get angry a lot. I, I really have a lot of rage in me. I mean, that was so easy to say. Um, but to say, you know, I've discovered that I really like my singing voice. Whoa. That's hard. Right. Um, to say that I feel like a, I'm a fairly honest person. Well, that was a little easier. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm thinking about it a little bit more, just listening to you share I think a lot of my confidence about what was what I liked about myself was it wasn't genuine. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, like I said earlier, I was the most honest person ever. And then I got right into that honesty portion, and it's, I started looking at every day-to-day thing, and I'm like, wow, I really know how to bullshit. You know? <laughs> I am a bullshitter, and, you know, it, it a little bit stems back to my family of origin. A lot of it does, actually. Uh, but, but it's, it's almost like once I started realizing, oh, wow, I'm not very honest. It was really tempting to go down into that, um, self-pity, that area of self-pity. Like, man, I, I always thought I was really honest and finding out that I'm not, gosh, I, I tell a lot of white lies. I tell a lot of silly fibs and, and, um, then, you know, I worked through the rest of the, you know, the moral inventory and I realized you know there are some things that I am honest about and there are some areas that I really feel that I, I've done okay maybe not a hundred percent but I've done okay with these and and so it was it if I had some idea about what my strengths were a lot of it was just a surface sort of um, superficial assessment I've made of myself and and doing the force up was sort of like a deeper assessment um, really looking at it for what it was and what I was doing every day and um, not just uh, what I'd been told all my life was good about me or what I had decided um, in order to sort of cope with life. I had to sort of trick myself into thinking that I was good at some, like really, really honest to, to not have to deal with, you know, my dishonesties and not have to go through the pain of having to tell somebody that I screwed up. You know, there's a concept that 
is talked about in both AA and Al-Anon, the idea that we have this combination of inflated ego and lack of self-esteem. And I think that is really prevalent <laughs> to the idea of the fourth step. Because when you were talking, I didn't realize it, Erica, but when you were talking and then Spencer commented on how you said discovering your assets, for me it was more about accepting my assets. Because I think I knew that I had assets, but it just wasn't okay to admit that I had assets. Kind of like you said, there was some sort of mixed message about boasting or being too prideful or something that I misinterpreted because it just was, it was like rude or inappropriate to say something positive about yourself to other people. And so, um, so I think there's kind of like a, a, a double, uh, step there of, you know, discovering some assets that I didn't know that I had, but also just coming to accept some of the ones that I did have. Um, I, I know that there are several ways that we've talked about doing the fourth step. We've, we've mentioned this blueprint for progress, the spiral book. Uh, Spencer, you mentioned doing a fourth step in an AWOL group, so which that's a little bit different because the spiral is sort of an individual activity. Um, there is also a method that I have used myself and encouraged sponsees to use where you can fourth step a specific situation or circumstance. And in the past recovery book under step four, it gives a suggestion of how to do that, where you make a, you take a piece of paper and you make four columns, one for cause, one for control, one for cure, and one for contribute. And you ask yourself about the circumstance. Did I cause the problem? How have I tried to control it? Is it in my power to cure it? And did this action contribute to the problem? And then you can do a little comment section at the end. But um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I think it's important. You know, we're talking about how scary this spiral book is, and I don't want to frighten people away from doing their fourth step. <laughs> I mean, the, so. Yeah, the thing with the, you know, the 90 pages, I mean, I made a joke about that. But um, what I did when I was working um, the fourth step this time from, from the blueprint is I tried not sort of like not looking ahead to how I'm going to fix the defect or looking ahead to, you know, maybe how I'm going to enhance an asset. I, instead, and, and, you know, I tried not to look ahead and say, wow, I have so much of this book left to fill in. Um, I tried to just focus on the page I was on or the question I was on. Um, and just like living life one day at a time, um, you know, I was doing the step one question at a time. And, one of the things that I did was was I uh, set aside a, a particular time each week that was my step work time. Uh, and for me, it was Tuesday lunchtime. I could take my books, I could go to a restaurant, um, and I could sit down and I could work on, on uh, you know, the questions in the blueprint or whatever for an hour. Uh, or I could work until I had finished the section that I had allotted to myself. And if that was less than an hour, then I could, you know, maybe read or something for the, for the rest of the hour, you know, that was a little reward. Uh, but that did several things for me. One is it kept me going. It's like, it's Tuesday. I'm going to work on step. Okay, I'm going to work on step four because it's Tuesday. Uh, I didn't have to say, well, when can I do it this week? Oh, I don't have time. I have time. It's Tuesday lunch. Okay. And, you know, sometimes I'd get a meeting or something and I couldn't do it. But um, so one thing was it kept me going. 
Um, another thing was that it made it a manageable piece to do. I'm going to do this for the amount of time it takes me to eat lunch. Mm-hmm. However far I get, that's how much I do. Um, and so also that helps with the not looking ahead and saying, oh, my God, i still got 80 pages to fill in here, you know. Or, um, now, when I was getting towards the end of the book, it was good to open it up and say, wow, I only got this little bit left to do. Okay, so um, it's, it, there's a matter of perspective there. Um, so those two things, um, yeah, it took me, still took me months to get through the book. Um, but it, it made it manageable for me, um, and, it, and it made it so that um, I had a schedule. Because I think it's so easy to, to, to commit to do something, but then not finish it because it's not part of your life. And it made it part of my life. I really like the... I really like the... Um, I kind of had the same process as you, but I like that, Kelly, you brought up the four... The four um, column sort of situational force step that we can choose to do um because when I was I chose or I took my sponsor's suggestion and did the blueprint for progress and you know it took me a little bit of time um so I was while I was doing this sort of larger fourth step I had situations that came up that um I wanted to do an immediate well I didn't know what I wanted I wanted a solution to the situation <laughs> I wanted to feel better about it and when I talked to my sponsor about it, she recommended inventorying that situation with this method. And I liked it a lot. Um, it really helped with the, just that one situation that was really bothering me um, that I felt like, I, I, yeah, I'm doing my big fourth step, but I want some you know, answers and perspective about this situation now. And it, it's a lot quicker to sort of just write it all out and... Um, look at my part, um, and that's really the most important part of doing a fourth-step inventory of a situation, a specific situation or a specific relationship, is so that I can see what I contributed because that is the last thing that I see. My default is never to see what my part is in a situation. (laughs) My default is to judge the other person's actions, to um, make a decision about whether they were right or wrong, to commiserate about it with people as many people that will listen (laughs) and it's and I need to really you know I'm I'm doing a four-step as an effort for me to try to get into a different frame of thinking where I can see my part in a situation faster and it takes practice and I think that those little inventories of a situation or, or one relationship really help me with that have either of you um I haven't, but um, I'm looking at it right now. Use these uh, uh, AA uh, process uh, where you list out like resentments and um, you know what did I do, what how how did that affect me, what feelings did I create in others, um, and and fears, and I think there's one about seven deadly sins too, at least in the uh, the twelve and twelve. Um, and I was recently encouraged to um, look at some fears that were in my life, and so I. I pulled down these worksheets that a lot of people in AA use uh, for, uh, for inventorying things. And it's, you know, it's a really nice short tabular form. And, and I particularly like the, uh, the column where it says, you know, what, what is this affecting? Because in the, at least in the, in the AA 12 and 12, he identifies what he calls three basic instincts. There's a social instinct, a security instinct, and a sex instinct. And then there's ambitions. Um, and, and so I can just, you know, make little checks. So this affects my, um, 
you know, self-esteem. This affects my personal relationships. Uh, and sometimes when I'm having trouble sort of figuring out what's going on with something, uh, having some little, uh, some categories I can put it into is really helpful for me. Uh, you know, somebody else has thought about the list part and, and I can, I can just fill it in. I wondered if, if any, I know that uh, some people in, in Al-Anon have used the, the AA process. Uh, I wonder if you have looked at that. I have not, but it sounds like a great, I, another item to add to the toolbox. And one of the things that I, I really like about the four step is there's so many different ways that you can do it. Um, that's something that all the literature says is there's, I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do the four step. It just has to be fearless and a fearless moral inventory. And, um, I like that there are multiple ways for me to do it again if I ever choose to do it a different way. Yeah. I like that, too. I like, I like having options now that I know that that's something that's available to me. <laughs> um, I have never personally done the AA four-step, but I have two sponsees that I have worked that worksheet with. Um, okay. One who was in a or is in AA and one who is not. And for both of them... It, it it just became an issue where they they looked at the blueprint, they looked at it first and flipped through it, and it just seemed like, well, one of them attempted to do it and it just wasn't clicking, it just wasn't working. And the other one felt like it just wasn't something she was ready to do. So I, I have to um, side with you, Erica, on saying that I think it's, good that there are so many options available because not everybody likes the same thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not everybody clicks with the blueprint and so you know you can use the pastor recovery questions you can do the mini four step you can use the AA worksheet I mean there's a multitude of probably other options that we haven't even explored that are available to everybody Um, yeah I think one of the things that I noted about the, the AA worksheets is it really focuses on on the defects on the harms on the fears the resentments um, and and does not explicitly ask about about assets. Uh, and I did I did find a mention in the in the twelve and twelve about your sponsor may remind you that you have assets as well as defects. Um, and and uh, you know I'm glad they recognize that a little bit. But you know they're really focusing more on the on the on the defects on the wrongs uh, um, in preparation for steps five and and nine I guess. Um, but it's I I I look at it as this could be a really good tool for doing one of those, those mini fourth steps. Um, I heard somebody express recently that he felt like, well, you know, he did a fourth step at the beginning of his program and then he just continues to do step 10 and he's never going to need to do a fourth step again. What do you think about that idea? (laughs) That seems like a dangerous question, Spencer. Um, (laughs) uh, For me, I feel that, you know, everybody's on their own path, I guess, okay. if, if that's what he feels like is right for him right now. He's entitled to feel that way. I, I feel like through the readings that I have read and what I've heard in meetings, most of the people that I know that I consider to work a quote-unquote good program have done more than one fourth step. Um. And I, you know, I do try to consciously do continual 10 steps and, and make amends for my part in anything on a daily basis that I do. But I know that 
after I completed my, my blueprint for progress, there would be times when I would just be driving down the road just a random day and something would pop into my head, something that I recalled that I would have the thought, shoot, that didn't make it onto my fourth step. I didn't remember that. So, you know, to me, I think there's probably, you know, an endless amount of things that could be stored away in my brain that didn't come about during my fourth, first fourth step that would probably make it onto a future one. No, don't take that as a commitment that I'm ready to do another fourth step. But. <laughs> I mean, I, for me, I think uh, what's, I guess my question is, is what's the harm in doing another one? Um, if it's, if I, I, I like to know that, um, I'd like to think that I, I, I want to keep him, you know, moving forward in this progress, um, uh, the progress, not perfection. I just, I, I, I see myself as, um, wanting to keep going and wanting to keep making progress. If I get to a point where I feel like I've maybe plateaued. Who knows if I'll get there or not, but I, I, I like to think that maybe, oh, well, why don't I do another fourth step? Why don't I work all of the steps again, start with step one and, and do it again? And, um, you know, I guess I can make that decision when I get there, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to finish some other steps before I do a fourth step, another fourth step. So um, for me, that's not something I see yeah. in the near future, but it's uh, it's an option that I can have. Yeah. Well, I, I, it was interesting to me because I, I was at that time, I had just recently finished doing my second fourth step uh, and was in the, you know, step five part of it, I think at that point. And, um, you know, I was like Kelly that what was happening to me was I was sit, I would sit in a meeting and somebody would say something and, and that would like bring up something from my past that, like you said, gee, that didn't make it into my first fourth step. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff about you know, the stuff about childhood, childhood dishonesty did not make it into my first fourth step at all. I just didn't remember it. Mm. Um, and and I came to the point of recognizing that I had a bunch of stuff that I needed to process. And one of the things for me that really was important to me this time. And I didn't understand this when I went into the process. And part of it was I got a new sponsor and it's like, well, you know, part of getting to know my new sponsor, I would do a fourth step and a fifth step. And, and, um, you know, that helps to sort of bring that bond or whatever. And, uh, uh, the person who's now my sponsor had talked about doing that with, when he got a new sponsor. And, uh, and I thought, well, that sounds like a really good idea. But what I didn't understand was the power this time that the step six and seven were going to have for me. And I think if I just tried to process those things under um, sort of under step 10 of taking a, a, a personal inventory and, and when I was wrong, probably admitting it, I wouldn't have spent the time thinking about step six and seven that I spent this time in. And a lot of things came into my life at just the right time there. And I was, when I was in this process, I heard an open talk um, from these guys who, who, actually created this worksheet that I'm holding on to at Joe and Charlie in AA. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about step six and seven, which in the big book, there's a paragraph about each one. Um, and the step seven paragraph basically says, say this prayer and you're done with step seven. Um, I'm like, 
and and they said you know there's really a lot more to it and they and and that since step six and seven are where the real healing starts and i don't think if i had not been doing sort of going through the steps all 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 in a sequence i would have found that and i wouldn't have found the healing um and the release from from some of my fears that i got this time uh and so that just it was a really powerful experience for me and it wouldn't have happened i really believe it would not have happened if i had not been really going through and doing all of these steps and doing them thoroughly um and you know we're almost um we we try to finish this discussion in about an hour and we're getting close to there so um i feel like we've talked some about how having done a four step has helped us but maybe it would be good to just kind of go around and and uh and close up with what difference we think it has made in our life to have done a four step and the following steps cuz you know you can't necessarily separate the effect that you've had from from just the one step. Well, that's going to be a tough question to answer briefly, but um <laughs> take your me, time. <laughs> for me, I think you know, someone in in the program uses the analogy of carrying around a bag of rocks on your back. And to me that's what it was like before I did my fourth step and the following steps is that I was lugging around all this unnecessary weight that wasn't serving me. And so working through this process really has just lightened everything off. You know, I'm not as, I'm definitely not as angry as I used to be. Um, I'm a lot more patient, I'm a lot more understanding, and I'm a lot less reactive so I, I you know for me it's really been about well and I don't think we, any of us really touch on this but there's definitely a higher power element too for me mm-hmm. to step for and it, it kind of ties into that honesty piece but it definitely brought me closer to my higher power because I had to you know as I'm writing all my notes down in this spiral I, I really had to trust that my higher power wasn't going to judge me for putting these things that were stored away in my brain out on paper as someone mentioned at a meeting last night when you put things down on paper it makes them a lot more real and it, it really creates an accountability for those actions and those behaviors and so um yeah, I'm not sure that I can really express in words, like you said earlier, to come full circle, Spencer. Um, I, I'm not sure that I can accurately express in words the benefits that I've gained from the fourth step. I just know I feel lighter, and I feel like a, a better human being. So, Erica? I, I think that that's exactly... I, I agree that it's hard to articulate what it is and how, how it works... Um, I think that the fourth step by itself is a, you know, part of a larger sort of process of doing the steps. Um, I like the, all of the readings of the four steps say, you know, you have to have the base of the first, second, and third steps, the powerlessness, you know, the willingness to put my will and my life into the care of a higher power, like you touched upon, Kelly, while doing this step, it, I mean, it's sort of like, okay, I recognize that I can't do anything about these 
really frustrating situations that keep happening in my life or, you know, I can't do anything about this relationship that I want to be a certain way and is not. And um, I know that there's another power that can and um, I'm willing to turn, you know, my will and my life over. Okay, now what? And so I feel like it's just a logical sort of next step to say, okay, let's, I need to get a better look at myself for who I am. And I remember too, when I was doing the fourth step, I had a friend in the program who was also working on the fourth step and we were both working on the blueprint. So it was sort of a, we'd been in this process of the fourth step and we were both talking a lot about self-love and how to get it. And we just couldn't come up with an answer on how to love yourself, how to gain self-confidence and how to look in the mirror and be happy basically and we were stumped. We were absolutely stumped. And we were trying really hard together to discuss it and like think of little things that you could do. And none of that stuff really worked. None of like the writing. I mean, I, I'll, I write little inspirational messages to myself on my mirror in the morning. And, and yeah, it didn't, but it didn't really work at the core. It was a nice little like external thing to have that kind of gave me a little pep in the morning. But I think that the answer for me was step four, five, and then the subsequent steps, five and six. I mean, the first part of that development of love for myself, who I was, faults and all, you know, assets and defects all together, started with first looking at what, who I was, what some of my patterns were, you know, the patterns that I've been doing my whole life and the, the mistakes that I would keep making over and over again. Becoming aware of what those were helped me sort of realize, you know, this is what I'm doing. I don't have to do these things this way. I can do them differently. So then I started making better decisions. I don't know how how that happened, but I started, I after starting to work the four-step and really, you know, looking at who I was and maybe starting to accept myself for who I was, I started making different decisions, and that is where the confidence came. When I made a decision that I thought was good for me, I really felt good about myself. And one of one situation in particular that happened after I started working, after I finished the fourth step, is that, you know, my alcoholic loved one asked for a big sum of money, a big sum of money. And um, I, to borrow and pay me back, of course, and I wanted to give the money very badly. My first instinct was to go, yes, of course. You said you'll pay me back. Why wouldn't I? You know? And then I realized I don't really have that much money to give right now. I'm, I need this money for my own bills and my own, you know, to take care of myself. And so I decided not to give it. And I was very happy with my decision. I was not happy with the results afterwards. You know, it wasn't, (laughs) It, this was a new thing for me to say no. And <laughs> they weren't thrilled with your response. No, they were not. They were not thrilled to hear no. Um, and it was a long, drawn-out sort of interaction that was sort of exhausting. But the whole, throughout that whole aftermath of me saying no, I was still very proud of myself for saying no. And I knew I had done the right thing for me. And I had heard from other people, wow, I'm proud of you that you made a decision that was good for yourself. It sounds like you, you know, 
are making making changes and that is where the self-esteem piece started coming for me is watching myself do things different start to do things differently um I still watch myself do the same things over and over again too but it's a process and um really what I got out of the fourth step and the and the rest of the steps was the self-love wow and thank you that's um you know, I, I was thinking about a lot of things while you were talking. Of course, and I can't remember any of them. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I wanted to to read here um, something that that our friend Diana said uh, that I think uh, sums up nicely what some of us uh, some of what's been said around the table just now. She says uh, the fourth step was a very powerful step for me in getting honest with myself, which in turn led to a lot more honesty in other areas of my life. Living an honest life is easier. There's a lot less to keep track of and a lot less to worry (laughs) about. As my behaviors began to change, I found the need to lie or exaggerate greatly diminished. My life was lighter and a lot more room for genuine, meaningful experiences, both with myself and others. And, you know, when you talked about, you know, life being lighter. And um, when you said that, I thought about... um, Discussion that we had this week on the Recovered podcast, we were talking about the seven deadly sins, which is really step four, um, slightly hidden. Uh, and and one of the guys uh, um, in that discussion, Chris, was is reading a book called Drop the Rock, which is about step six and seven. And you talked about carrying all these, Kelly, you talked about carrying all these things around and, and being able to set them down. And, and so that picture came to mind and also the picture of uh, one of the times when my loved one was was in um, therapy um, in treatment, uh, they had a particularly confrontational uh, style of dealing with the, the people who were at that treatment center. And somebody who wasn't willing to give up something, they would hand them a physical stone and say, "Carry this with you. Always have this stone with you until you're willing to let go of this." You know, I think if in the in the case I was seeing it was somebody who was not willing to let go of of shame for what they had done. And, you know, with step four, and you talked about coming to love yourself, and, and I didn't like myself a whole lot when I came into the program. And part of that was this whole, you know, egomaniac with low self-esteem thing um, that, you know, I thought I was a wonderful person and a, and a horrible person at the same time, right? Um, and so just doing step four, just doing the inventory gave me a more balanced look at myself you know, yeah, I do have things that are good. And yeah, I have things that, you know, I don't like, but, you know, actually they're not, maybe not as bad as I thought they were. Um, doing it in a group, doing it in my AWOL group showed me that my character defects were not the uniquely horrible things that I might have thought they were when I just kept them inside my head because the other people around the table had the same or very similar problems. And, and so, again, one of the things that, that Al-Anon has done for me from the beginning is to break my isolation and isolation about the, the horrible person that I am. Um, step four helped to break that isolation and to make me understand that, that I'm not uniquely a horrible person. Um, and, that, and then knowing that coming out of step four, there were further steps to take that I could actually do things 
I could do something about these things that I didn't like that maybe just hadn't fallen away because I had identified them and could let go of them and not have to, to carry them and treasure them and hold them inside me all the time. Um, but also that even those things that were still affecting my life that I still didn't like, um, there, was a, there was a continuing process uh, where, where I, could, I could let go of those things and I could have them removed from me by um, you know, my higher power because obviously my efforts, um, you know, I was a horrible procrastinator. I still am to some extent. Um, I would always show up late for appointments and meetings. Um, and, you know, when I was able to identify this in step four, I was then able to, to say, you know, I really don't like this about myself and to, and to just start changing my behavior. Um, and, and to start to also to recognize to some extent, like, why did I do that? Like, was it that, um, you know, I felt if I showed up early for a, a doctor's appointment or something that I was wasting my time. Um, well, what about, you know, the person's time that I'm seeing, mm. you know, my, my, is my time more important than theirs? And, and identifying that and bringing that out, um, helped me to start, to start changing my behavior. Um, and to identify that, well, I just, I don't like, I don't like waiting. I don't <laughs> like waiting. Okay. Well, there's something I can do about that, right? I can bring something with me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can bring a book. I can bring a puzzle or something like that. And and so, or I, for God's sake, I could bring work if I really felt like I had to. Um, <laughs> and, you know, of course, you know, one of my character defects that I identified on Monday is sloth. So um, I'd rather read a book or do a puzzle or something <laughs> than, 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 than actually, you know, I'm not one of those type A people that brings my work with me everywhere. But, um, you know, so I, if if I know what's going on, um, I can find ways to address maybe sort of this underlying cause, which I wouldn't have identified if I hadn't taken that close look. Uh, and I can and I can work through things in a way rather than just coming at them head on and saying, this has to change. Because when I come at something straight on in, in myself and say, this has to change, it's not going to change. No. I need a strategy. And, and doing the fourth step helped me to find some strategies. Um, and, you know, sometimes that strategy is pray. You know, right. Um, and and if I pray, then I will hear some answers. I know I will. I want to thank everybody for their shares today, and I just wanted to wrap up with one sentence that I saw in the Pastor Recovery book in the fourth step section that says, simply, if we don't make a start on the fourth step, nothing about us will change. Damn straight. After a short break, we'll be back with Our Lives in Recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And we're going to uh, transition with a um, song, By the Rains, uh, by Brown Bird. This again was suggested by our friend Diana. And she pulls out um, a lyric here. I do still want for you to love me. I just don't know who I am. But I know that who I am not is who I've been and I will never be again. She says, one of the great things for me when completing a fourth step was my sponsor's patience and acceptance with me taking my time. This made me feel comfortable and safe in going through the process and it allowed me the time and space I needed to be sufficiently reflective as opposed to just trying to get it done in true perfectionist fashion. This song speaks to that in a lot of ways for me. The sort of negative bucking reaction where you want to change and you know it is necessary, but you need to get there on your own path. This is another great thing about the program. My supports work strong programs, which allows them to be accepting of the process and path that I am on, regardless of whether they agree with it or not. There are a few experiences in my life 
where I have experiences of that level of unconditional understanding. I have not quite thrown enough of me away. I have tried to rip the rest of me apart, but still a little bit remains. Please don't hold me too tightly by the reins. I will crumble to a powder, I will shatter and be swiftly swept away. I do still want for you to love me I just don't know who I am But I know that who I'm not is who I've been And I will never be again Please don't hold me Too tightly by the reins Or I will kick and I will buck And I'll run right at the nearest open In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. So, Erica, why don't you start us off? Well, this week in meetings, uh, I heard a really great first step lead um, from a parent of a adult child, his adult child who is an alcoholic, and it was just really powerful to hear his story and just hear about the progress that he's made. He's very good at articulating his own progress and um, the sort of benchmarks of his progress, how when he first started coming to meetings, he would feel good when it, for the meeting and then for maybe get on the way to the car. And then he started feeling good all the way home. And that serenity, I feel, does start to last longer and longer. That peace grows and grows. It's, it's gradual. It's a process. And it was good to hear um, that. And... Um, um, in my program, I'm, I've been doing a lot of things that feel like service lately, and it feels really good to be of service um, to other people, to women in the program. Um, it helps me. It helps me uh, prioritize. It helps me get out of my head and um, have a purpose and a in a listening to other people's story is really helpful for me. And watching other other women in the program sort of go through steps one, two, and three is what I'm seeing a lot of right now. It's really nice to um, to watch that and to um, kind of take myself back down to those steps. And I'm, it's almost like I'm working them again, too, and um, getting new information to add to my, my toolbox, you know, make those new connections in my brain that I haven't made yet and, you know, hear new messages for my higher power. And it's great. It's great to do that. It's also... Just been really nice to meet some new people, to make some new relationships. So yeah, that's that's my week. Spencer, right? I was at the same Wednesday night meeting, and uh, again, um, I've heard his story before. Uh, it continues to impress me. Um, it makes me grateful for the fact that my alcoholic is in recovery, also. Hmm. But the fact that um, he has really found a lot of uh, serenity. Uh, while his his uh, alcoholic has been drinking for you know thirty years or something, I don't know if I could do that. And you know, um, I know I know it goes up and down for him, but he's still able to go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that really speaks to me of the power 
that the Al-Anon program has uh, when we really work it. And uh, earlier this week, and I spoke about this earlier on the podcast, uh, I was recording an episode of the Recovered uh, podcast um, with uh, where we were talking about, um, and as I said, almost step four, we were talking about the seven deadly sins. And uh, um, it, that has really, it's been interesting since we talked about you know, sloth, laziness, and, and gluttony, um, eating when we don't have to, or consuming. And, and I started to see those things in my life. You know, when I was feeling like, oh, I really don't want to do this thing at work, then I could say, oh, there's your sloth right there, you know. <laughs> and uh, maybe I picked up a donut even though I was not really hungry, you know, there's some gluttony going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it was kind of amusing, you know, because none of those are really strong in my life right now. They're not really um, having an effect. But, you know, I, I, I mean, for the past, I don't know how many years, I've been trying to drop maybe 20 pounds. And, and I'll get down 10 pounds and then I'll kind of get stuck. And... Uh, and and part of that is because maybe I'm not willing to give up on the, those little food pleasures in my life. You know? <laughs> I want that donut, mm-hmm. and if I didn't eat that donut, I didn't have that, you know, that extra serving at dinner. Uh, maybe it would be a little easier to attain that other goal. But it was a fun discussion. It's over at recoveredcast.com if you want to listen to it. And uh, last night's meeting, you know, on step four. It was good preparation for this morning. It really got me starting to think about it. Um, although I had been reading, reading during the week and and thinking about it, you know, actually having to open up my mouth and say something, uh, uh, helped me to get ready for what I was going to do this morning. So that, that's my week. How about you, Kelly? Well, in my personal recovery, I have been working through the traditions in the Paths to Recovery book. Um, I have a particular sponsee who is really extremely diligent about step work and, um, which is good because it's challenging me to do something that I may not otherwise have done. So, and as I have always been told in the program, I am capable of sponsoring people as long as I stay one step ahead of my sponsee because I can't sponsor someone on something I haven't worked through or experienced. So that has been forcing me to work through the traditions, but it's been really good. We also talk about them in the that Friday night meeting that Spencer mentioned. So I'm familiar with them, just not on this personal of a level. So that's been good. Um, also on Wednesday night, I missed my normal meeting. Um, I was actually invited to a special meeting at a friend's house. Her son passed away. He was 24. He passed away from the disease of alcoholism. And it, it's it's been a really sad experience. And it was an interesting meeting to go to because when, I, when she first asked me if I could attend, my sponsor asked me if I could go to support this woman. And I immediately said yes because I was always told you don't say no when you're asked to be of service, but also because... You know, I wanted to be that this person has supported this woman who lost her son has supported me um, in program things as well as non-program things. So I wanted to be there for her. But then my codependent defects kicked in and I panicked because even though we talk about the prevalence of death relative to this program, this is really the first time it's really hit close to home for me. Um, you know, people die of this disease all the time, but it's never been this close to me. And so I realized I don't know what to say. I don't know what to share at this meeting. I'm supposed to bring my experience, strength, and hope to help this woman out, and I don't have any of that. And so 
I did what I was taught to do, which was go to the literature. So I open up all of my books and I'm looking in the back and there is nothing <laughs> on how to deal with death in the program, which was fascinating to me. But um, apparently I just don't have the right books, I guess. I don't know. But I went to the meeting anyway, even though I was scared and worried that I wasn't going to be able to help this person make it better for her. Um, and what I realized from listening to the other shares in the group was that having a program is a really powerful thing. Um, you know, when you deal with someone dying of this disease in the outside world, you tend to receive a lot of judgment about, you know, he was sick because of something you did, or he wouldn't have died if you had done this. You know, there's a lot of criticism and judgment. And in the program, um, it's nothing but compassion. You know, everyone just shared their experience, strength, and hope. They shared stories about her son from times that they had met him. And so, you know, something else that I realized was that it didn't really matter what I said, just that I was present. You know, that I I could participate for her in a way that her son was no longer able to by just being there, you know. So, it was a really powerful experience. It's a, a terrible time, and it's very sad, but um, but the meeting was great, and it was eye-opening, and it definitely helped me with my recovery, too. So, Awesome. All right, so our topic next week will be gratitude. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation, so please leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about gratitude. Spencer, how can people send us feedback? Well, you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Yeah, just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of Step 4 or next week's topic of Gratitude. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Hey, Erica, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, which I love, BT-dubs, links <laughs> to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of al open talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. Another way to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website is to leave comments on the show notes or on the blog. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation here. And, you know, we had a comment on the website. Could you read that, Kelly? Lorraine says, I recently discovered your website and I have listened to several podcasts. I really enjoy the discussions and I'm so grateful that I happened upon your site. I attend Al-Anon meetings here in a small village I live in, and usually our meetings only consist of about four or five members. I find these podcasts and this website beneficial to me in between meetings, which I found very useful in my recovery. Thanks to all of you, and continue the good work and great job that you're all doing. Peace and love. Thanks, Lorraine. Yeah, thank you. And uh, it, is, it is feedback like this and, the, and an email that we got this week, that we'll read in a moment, um, that really help us to keep going. You know, to to feel that what we're doing um, has some value besides the value it gives to us. Because for me, this is a huge part of my program now. I mean, the opportunity to sit and and talk about in depth about a topic with with a couple of other people in the program has been amazing for me. Um, so thank you for for letting us know that we're helping. 
And uh, we have an email. You want to read the email, Erica? Sure. I have been searching for something like this. It's been hard to find surprisingly in this world of technology. I am a parent of an adult child alcoholic. It's tearing me up inside. I am living one day at a time and attending meetings too. Thank you for this podcast. It's going to be my daily listening. May God bless you for the people you are going to help. And that's from Diana. Which is not our Diana. It's a different Diana. <laughs> just, just saying. Um, what's, what are we closing with here? I don't know, Spencer. What are we closing with? <laughs> I think we're going to close with the Avid Brothers. Oh, yes. We are going to close with Head Full of Doubt, Road Full of Promise by the Avid Brothers. And the line that Diana picked for us on that selection was, and there was a kid with a head full of doubt, so I scream till I die or the last of those bad thoughts are finally out. And she says, I think the fourth step, in a way, gave my permission to move beyond the person I had been before recovery. Getting honest with God and another person about the things I was not proud of and still feeling love after allowed me a freedom that I was probably that I probably always had anyway, in which I did not have to stay acting as I always had. That's what I hear in this song. Getting the bad stuff out makes room for new positive things. On me that's flooded in light In the fine print that tell me what's wrong and what's right And it comes in black and it comes in white And I'm frightened by those who don't see it Where nothing is owed, deserved or expected And your life doesn't change by the man that's elected If you're loved by someone you're never rejected Decide what to be and go be it There was a dream And one day I could see it Like a bird in a cage I broke in Somebody free it And there was a kid With a head full of doubt So I screamed till I die All the last of those bad thoughts of finally out Tell you what's wrong and what's right And it flies by day and it flies by night And I'm frightened by those who don't see There was a dream That one day I could see it Like a bird in a cage I broke in And demanded that somebody breathe
Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, please feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.